The global supply chain is strained. One essential transportation network continues to keep the economy connected 24-7. That network is freight rail. We're increasing hiring and capacity, all while investing more than $20 billion per year into our network to improve reliability every day. We never stop working to better serve our customers because freight rail works. Three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hello, everybody. What's happening? Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. So today's show is called Be Kind, and the subtitle is For Your Own Sake. And I want to propose the idea that life is better for you if you deliberately take on a certain attitude toward other people. So I'm going to distinguish this idea from what is commonly thought of when we talk about being kind to people. Um, But we'll leave that for now, as I try rather to bring us to the point uh, through a short true story. Now, my father died this past September, and I went to my home of Nova Scotia, Canada with my wife. And let me first say, uh, if this is an opportunity to publicly and at once thank uh, many of my dearest friends just for being there. Um, I saw messages from the right names and saw the faces of the right people while I was at home. And just hearing something and seeing the people is the support that anyone needs. Uh, I'll tell you that now. It really isn't about what you say. Um, But if there were a right thing to say, my friends did and said all the right things. I won't get caught naming any names at any point today because there was just so much support and so many people and no one deserves to be left out. But I did want to mention my closer friends uh, first, just to say how much I appreciate them and just their being there. Um, Even though we don't talk that often, some of us, it was just... It was just, they did it, right? Of course they were there. And you know who you are. It's my boys, my girls. Thank you. Wow. Um, so, um, now this is related to what I w- want to go on and say. And I want to, in this um, scenario, I want to focus on two events that were the visitation and the post-funeral reception. Um, to explain, I'll be brief, I promise, right? How this relates to our theme today. So, the visitation was held in like a beautiful, open, uh, connected rooms, Some a couple connected rooms in the funeral home. And there was a two-hour afternoon session and a two-hour evening session, of course, to accommodate people with uh, different schedules. So I went there and I didn't know what to expect. Um, although I knew I would be seeing some people I hadn't seen for a long, long time. And some people that I hadn't seen for a little while, but I kind of expected them. But I, circumstances aside why we were there, I was kind of looking forward to seeing these people. And while I knew there would be some surprises, I really didn't know how it would affect me. And I certainly couldn't have been prepared for the kind of event it turned out to be. So as the event unfolded, there kind of formed a few circles, one around my mom, one around my sister, one around my brother, and one around me. And you know, it was kind of one at a time. It wasn't just big circles, everybody trying to come in and get an autograph or something. They were politely and respectfully waiting their turn to say their piece uh, to each of those they wanted to. Uh, and of course, other groups formed around the rooms with people talking and meeting each other and standing off to the side and just kind of, as I said, being there. Um, 
I myself was overwhelmed with who I saw. Um, and I want to highlight here, I was overwhelmed by the kind of vibe in the room, the atmosphere of the room, the emotional atmosphere of the room. Um, now, I saw, I remember I saw like old elementary school teachers, my dad's old ball friends and his old co-workers. And there were some people who were just, I didn't even know at all, but they knew my father and they just wanted to come and, and say, you know, you don't know me, uh, but I knew your father and just, you know, and I just wanted to tell you this and that. So, I mean, all of this stuff was just a lot, and but it was all very um, warming, touching, and I, I really in, kind of enjoyed the whole thing, if I, you know, if you can put it like that. So, um, this includes the two sessions, and then the post-funeral reception was much of the same. Um, and I want to, again, highlight it's the atmosphere and the mood that, that touched me so much. Now, if there's another kind of positive thing that you could say out of a, such a situation like this, it is getting to go home to see family and old friends. I, I live in, you know, hopefully know by now that I live in Korea, and I've lived here for 17 years, and uh, when I, it's always a, a treat to go home and see old friends. So in this case, I, I got to see some old friends, and I don't mean just old friends, I mean the kind who are like family. So I went over to one such friend's house um, in, in one night, uh, in the middle of the, all this going on, and of course, actually another friend uh, had flown in from another province and he was staying with him. So I'm hanging with my two boys, my two brothers, uh, in, in his basement, in his man cave at, at home, and we're talking about all kinds of stuff. We're watching the game and we're talking and stuff. But obviously, this stuff is inescapably on my mind at all times. It, I mean, I, I found out, I came from Korea, I arrived here, and all this is going on. And I'm, I'm talking about it in various ways at times. And at one point, I was trying to express what I am here about how overwhelmed I was with the warmth and the feeling and talking to all those people. And I was struggling to explain and define the quality in the funeral home that I, that I felt and everybody in it. And at one point, my friend said to me, goodwill. And I said, yes, yes, goodwill. That's exactly the word I was looking for. It was just an atmosphere of pure goodwill. There was zero ill will or, or anything anywhere. It was so pure. And now, as I examine it later, uh, so, so from a much later perspective, like say now, um, I explained the goodwill in that everyone who came there all shared and focused on very basic common values. It was as if everything incidental and superficial were stripped away and we were only left with the appreciation for life, for our own lives and the lives of those we love. It's like we could hold in our minds and our hearts what was important and that everyone knew what was essentially important. Everyone there could appreciate my mother's position, and the same for my sister, brother, and me. They could appreciate what it meant to us, and they felt it. They wanted to share their own sorrow and support us in ours, because they could empathize. And some of them had lost family and friends of their own. And of course, my dad was a friend of some of them, so they were in a similar position, although not quite exactly, but to us. But... All of us there could just all recognize on some level that my dad was now gone and we weren't. We were all here. And everyone still had those they loved around them. We still had ourselves and people we love. And we appreciated that fact and we uh, express. you could feel it. Now, if I want to explain this in terms of what I call objective optimism, this framework that I'm, that I'm developing, I hold appreciation in some ways as the central quality in a person's approach to life, right? And I contrast this attitude or, or this choice 
Um, if you refer to the table I've referred to a few times here, I create a comparative table between objective optimism, pessimism, and subjective optimism, and the kind of worldviews, attitudes, etc., and then some of their consequent practical and emotional expressions and results and consequences. And I contrast the attitude of appreciation on the table to taking things for granted. Um, but at that place, it was as if no one could even think to take anything for granted in that context. One could only appreciate everything. And being integrated as it is, this framework, um, the framework holds this kind of appreciation versus taking things for granted and says that it leads to various outcomes. And in terms of one's view of and attitude toward other people, uh, attitude toward other people. So, um, namely, one will feel a benevolence and goodwill toward other people if one has a certain attitude toward life in general. And I felt throughout those events that no one could hold an ill feeling toward anyone else present, even if they wanted to. Again, it was as if everything were stripped away and people could only see each other's fundamental goodness. And not just the community we, we, most of us came from and shared in common, right? Like we had all grown up in the same place. I knew these people when I was very young. Um, although that was part of it for sure. But for those who weren't, it, it didn't matter. It was just our common humanity and that really everyone was all in common trying to live good lives and, and be happy. And we could sense that. Now, this is in contrast to how a lot of the world feels at times today. Uh, we can feel the goodness all around, no doubt, but there is sometimes and also uh, an undercurrent of suspicion, envy, and sometimes hostility towards other people. And there's some kind of fear in the world which prompts these other feelings. Um, so I saw a Douglas Murray clip. I'm not, I don't even know much about Douglas Murray. I just uh, saw, so I, I'm not saying this is my guy or anything. <laughs> I just uh, saw some kind of clip and, and, the title of it intrigued me, so I heard what he had to say for a few minutes, and um, he did. I, I did agree. He referred to an uh, an unforgiving society in which some people, uh, in which young people, are scared to say or think the wrong thing, while pointing out the fact that so many celebrities are being canceled, etc. And we know about this cancel culture. And from my perspective, this kind of attitude and behavior all stems from pessimism, right? And if we just step away from the you know, the whole funeral uh, for story for a little while. I want to briefly refer to my table um, and discussion of it. Um, and one part that discusses the correlation between pessimism and these attitudes. And then the correlation between optimism and the consequent attitudes and feelings of true benevolence and goodwill. So in the table, if I look at where the, the category of choice of focus, and this is what is important for us today, um, because what I'm proposing here is suggesting that we, well, first of all, we can consciously direct our focus and that we ought to consciously direct our focus towards certain uh, attitudes. And on the kind of, I have a few different comparisons and in choice of focus, on the optimism side, objective optimism, it's abundance mindset. And on the pessimist and subjective optimist side, it's scarcity mindset. Then another part, uh, another another row says, Focus on what one has, that's the optimist, versus the other ones, pessimism and subjective optimism, focus on what one doesn't have and what others have. And then the final row is appreciation on the side of optimism versus taking things for granted on the pessimistic side. And then this is followed, this may be easier if you see the table, but hopefully you can follow along with what I'm saying. This is followed then in the category of 
view and attitude, view of and attitude toward other people. Um, on the optimism side, this is benevolence, goodwill, and generosity. And on the pessimistic side uh, and the subjective optimist side, it's fear, envy, suspicion, hostility, and contempt. Um, if one believes that the world is scarce, so remember we had abundance versus scarcity mindset. If one believes that the world is scarce, that one is deprived while, while others either have more or that they are a threat to one gaining more, how is it possible to have a benevolent view of them? Uh, so this is all I think that people can feel for one's fellows under such a perspective of scarcity. And while a pessimist or subjective optimist might try to insist that they're sympathetic toward human beings, right, particularly towards their suffering, I think that's what they say a lot, they can't escape what they perceive as the real reality or uh, of that threat of other people or the relative lack that they perceive, the, relative, the lack relative to other people. And they will, in spite of themselves, feel fear and envy um, toward their fellow human beings. Since pessimism and subjective optimism are both, are both subjective approaches, they're like attempts to fabricate emotions subjectively. Uh, emotions of goodwill toward others are futile. Their worldview will draw them irresistibly to feel negatively towards them. Now, I'm not saying here that if you're a pessimist like, and, and you take pessimism to mean that you're a little more negative or kind of a, more depressed than other people, that this means that you hate people and you wish them all ill will, etc., like with everything within this whole framework, I'm saying that to the extent you hold certain ideas or attitudes and that you hold them consistently, to that extent you will be drawn to feel certain ways and see certain uh, ex you will see certain existential and emotional results, etc. So I'm saying that these things are all interrelated and that if we want to experience our lives one way, we must deliberately choose to focus on particular things and ultimately shape our worldviews to something consistent on the positive end. So basically, as I say, be on the, within the objective optimist column all down the line. Like myself, I'm not a perfect objective optimist, right? While even though I've, I'm really conscious and aware of these things, right? I have to constantly decide or remind myself to focus on certain things when I'm starting to be passive about my life and in what I'm doing. And that when I do change my mind consciously, my whole mood changes, my whole spirit, my whole world changes. And the more I deliberately uh, direct my focus, the more it becomes a habit. On the other hand, on the optimist side, objective optimist side, if one feels that life is abundant, that wealth and other values are created rather than taken and thus can multiply indefinitely, and that one is efficacious uh, in creating them, that all and that other people that you see around you all have this capacity in common with you, and that when others do create that one's life is better off, not worse. So if people get richer around me, my life doesn't get worse, it gets better. The view of others becomes obvious. While one is definitely aware that bad people exist, that's, that's always going to be true. It is not one's default view of one's fellows at large. Right? Instead, an irresistible benevolence permeates your soul and one feels a goodwill toward others, a sincere wish that they do well in their lives. And on top of that, when one is optimizing one's own life by kind of being an objective optimist and really seeing your life get better in every respect towards which you apply this framework, one is much more generous toward others. Um, and particularly when one sees material wealth increase, not by accident, but by deliberate and optimistic action, right? And, and you, you know why you've, you know, that you're taking action to get richer and you do, your material life gets better, you become more charitable. 
there's not much charity and generosity with coming or forthcoming, excuse me, from from misers and miser being people who think that material wealth is scarce and who focus on other people's success and wealth and feel somehow that it is that which is the cause of their own perceived lack. And it's just that it's a perceived lack, which is what taking things for granted results in. If I appreciate what I have, I, I won't feel a lack. I'll feel rather I'll feel quite rich. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. And I mentioned Scrooge in one of the other shows, and in my essay I do. Even the infamous Scrooge, who everyone else could see was rich, he nonetheless only saw scarcity. He had a scarcity mindset. And it was after he changed his perspective about it to become to an abundance mindset that he became a benevolent force in the world. And of course, not just other people were the beneficiary, but the biggest beneficiary was himself. And that's part of what we're saying here. Be kind for your own sake. This is our point today. When I say be kind, I mean to choose deliberately to take an optimistic view of other people. I mean to strip away anything superficial you might see and judge and look for the positive within them and then appeal to that positive. I mean to appreciate other people's context and to appreciate that everyone's context will be quite varied, right? There are people of so many different backgrounds, of varying education and interests, with so much information available to everyone in the world, and people have very varying exposure to, to so many different ideas. Of course, people have different worldviews and, and whole different, what, what I'm going to call today, context. Now, I've constantly been wondering how we seem to be in this world of what Douglas Murray called an unforgiving society, where people, particularly young people, are scared to say and think the wrong thing, the wrong thing, quote unquote, for fear of being canceled or ostracized. And I remember it wasn't always like that. And so it's just kind of, uh, I'm just always trying to figure this out. Now, I want to distinguish what I mean by be kind and look for the positive. When I say just look for the positive, I don't mean ignore things. And I don't mean any of this don't judge stuff, right? If you know me at all or if you start to follow along my blog or the show, you'll get to know that I don't play that, all right? I'm, I'm all about judging, right? But let me, let me explain. I think that that um, don't judge thing is usually meant to mean I don't want to be judged, so I'm going to propound, you know, the idea that the only evil one can do is to judge people, right? So, but of course, by this attitude, we excuse any kind of evil and immorality. And that's the whole point of the don't judge thing. But when I say judge people, I mostly mean just judge their ideas. But even then, I don't mean just take a look at someone or, or even if I know a lot about their ideas and a lot of their ideas I think are bad and I disagree, I don't just condemn them to the category of evil or loser or whatever. And that's what I mean. So, I mean, yeah, definitely judge people, but but certainly look for the goodness first. Look for the positive and appeal to that because really um, there are lots of reasons for the, the, other, the other part that you can see. And I think that this is probably a good time to insert this idea because it's really important to me that while people are seemingly less civil to each other these days and there's lots of venom being thrown around on social media and universities and, and all over the place, I mostly blame the intellectuals whose job it is to teach us, right? Uh, philosophy departments and universities and, and intellectuals out on in the media. Um, 
they're the ones who are supposed to be thinking deeply about the ideas they hold and who, while knowing better, they still preach poisonous ideas. So I think most people who I or, or we, any of us, might be tempted to judge as like a bad person are more victims of bad ideas. Of course, we're ultimately responsible for the ideas we hold and propound, but it's not easy to think and judge ideas, right? Particularly younger people. So I'm particularly sympathetic and give more benefit of the doubt to young people. But add that we're not given the best intellectual equipment these days in terms of a good education that trains minds how to be critical and independent. And it's even harder to judge ideas and to, to know what's, what's good and what's right and wrong, true and false, good and bad. And appreciating this fact makes it a lot easier to look past the surface on people, even when they're putting out ideas uh, like that, and get to the common values and build from there, which is what I'm trying to say to focus on here. Focus on the common values at the, at the root and build from there. But let me give you a couple of concrete examples to illustrate what I mean in terms of how can we, we can direct our focus and how easily negative feelings can slip themselves in. Uh, I just imagine some students of mine. So I, I walk into my university classroom and I if I'm only focused on my own context and my own uh, worldview and ideas, I can pretty much imagine that anybody is an outsider, right? So from me, because it's like everybody has is quite a lot quite a lot of variance, as I said. But if I decide to appreciate other people's context, that means those experiences, ideas, and information they've been exposed to among a whole other host of factors, I can immediately become more kind, benevolent, and generous to them. Like, I might look around my room and see some kind of dead face student and just think right away, like, was this kid a loser? Like, what are you doing here if you don't care? And, you know, etc. Right. Meanwhile, I'm, I look over and see the bright faces who are ready to, to get into what we're doing today and, you know, and want to study. And I easily approve and, and feel more sympathetic to them. But what I do now is I just decide that this is a kid who has a context wildly different from mine. And why not strip away all the irrelevancies and, and focus on and appeal to the fact that he's obviously a good person, he's, he's young, he doesn't know. And of course, he's my student. And instead, I'm going to start from somewhere and try to discover his context. I want to show him that I'm as sympathetic to him as all the others, right? And treat everybody kind of equally that way. This attitude makes my day and my whole experience brighter and I just feel better about teaching and I don't even get bothered by the kid. And I almost certainly get a more positive response from the student as well. And this is the same with anyone, whether it's servers in a restaurant or you know laborers or people I see walking around on the street in my neighborhood. Like It's easy for me to go around and see people uh, who may actually look miserable or in some other way are not being kind of optimal. And I might think something negative about them. I can imagine being in a restaurant with my wife and we look over like, what is that guy wearing? And what does that say about him? And like, oh my God, is he, he looks kind of arrogant or something. Maybe that's not kind of who he is at all. He just kind of, he just has different ideas. And underneath, stripped away, I know he's like probably good, right? So I just, what I do is I just choose to go forget that stuff, assume their fundamental goodness and then I just feel benevolent and great about my world and toward the people. I mentioned the movie A Christmas Carol uh, a couple shows ago or something. Um, and in my essay, um, because I'd watched it this Christmas, and there was another quote in it that struck me as I was watching. And I forget which character, but one of them said, We are all fellow travelers to the grave. We're just on different stops. 
And this is what I mean when I say that we all may look out at other people and take on this attitude, appreciating the fact that everyone is all, when everything else is stripped away, trying to live their own lives, and that we are all simply at different stops. So again, we're all common in our humanity. And I don't just mean this as a generality. We're all common in our humanity and you know, underneath the surface. I'm saying that, yes, but I, I mean that, that we ought to remember it and deliberately apply this attitude all the time because our default might lead us to more negative thoughts. And this is what it means, in my view, to be kind. Um, this is the warmth and mood that permeated the, all the, the Facebook messages I got after my father died, uh, whether on my wall or a bunch of the private messenger ones I got. I couldn't believe like some of the people. I was like, I don't like that person. I haven't even thought about that person in a long time. And there they were. Um, of course, at the visitation, the post-fuel ceremony, it was all that kind of uh, kindness that came out. It wasn't some other kind, um, which I guess I'll bring up right now. What I don't mean and, and what I want to distinguish this outlook of, of kindness from is the idea that to be kind goes out means to go out and seek people who are like poor or pathetic or suffering and to go out and help them or whatever, right? I'm not against helping people. I, what I mean is, I think there's a bit of a presumption implicit in that attitude of like, I'm superior and strong while others are all helpless and would be lost without my generous help. Like, you're kind of implicitly saying, oh, that guy looks pathetic. That guy looks poor, right? He's pitiful, right? So I'm not saying it's always like that, right? Or insincere, but but it is true that that attitude has to be implicit in it at some point or else why would you feel that pity or that that kind of sympathy. And again, I'm not, I don't play that game, right? Like when I go to a restaurant or, or let's better, let's imagine, uh, imagine I go on a trip to like a poor country where like the hotel, uh, restaurant, golf caddy, bartender, whatever service staff uh, seems to be much poorer than me, right? Um, and like if I take on that above attitude or that, that earlier attitude of, you know, I want to just be so kind and nice to the people and act like I'm this kind of superior guy and, and I feel sorry for them, right? It's kind of belittling to them in my view. Instead, I think a kinder and certainly more benevolent attitude is to just see them as equals, as fellow travelers to the grave and as people who are just on different stops uh, and with a wholly different context than me. Pity is almost always not kindness, uh, but respect is. Now, I can put this in better terms when I think about kind of regular people in our society that I live in and in my home country. So where we deal with people of all kinds of experience and education, background, interest, etc. I'll imagine a person uh, walking up. Come with me here. So I imagine a, a person uh, walking up a concrete hill in, in Korea, right? Through an old, through old dilapidated buildings in an old dilapidated neighborhood, um, this is the kind of these old neighborhoods, especially in Seoul of, uh, you know, these days, I'll tell you, Korea is crazy modern. And, and I will do a show uh, discussing kind of what life in Korea looks and feels like. I think that'll be quite interesting for people. But but certainly in some parts of Seoul, where the older parts, there's these like towns and just the all the wires are going through from the telephone poles. And there's just various buildings and they're all kind of really old and decrepit. And so imagine going up that kind of hill in the city and then like they stop in at a you know shoddy looking convenience store and he buys a like a pathetic snack looking to 
you know, it looks like he had a hard day at work, a long day. Then he retreats into this horrible looking door with a rusty window next to it and indicating that the space behind must be uh, pretty tiny. So while my heart might be tempted to bleed for this guy, right, the person himself ought to be and probably would be indignant at at any pity that he received, right? And in fact, I can tell you definitely would be because the person in that story and that was me, right? In my late twenties, <laughs> I think I told you guys, uh, I, I did tell you, uh, on an earlier show, um, the time I took my wife, uh, back to that place I just described and showed her, Oh, I used to live here. And then she started crying and I was kind of confused about it. What are you, what are you crying for? And she said, I just imagined you living in there and it, kind of broke her heart to imagine that I was existing in that place. And I was, and again, my point of telling that, and again, now is like, I had had a good job. I was living in the exciting city of Seoul. I was living a good life. It was me. It's the same me. I was just at a different stop in my life. So I imagine sometimes what I would think now if I met that guy, that Matthew from that time, or if I met Matthew as a student, right? Good. What would I think of him? And like, how would I judge Matthew and including some of the stupid crap that came out of his mouth, right? I mean, like, oh, this kid's an idiot. It wasn't an idiot. It was me, right? So, I mean, when I understand that, I can understand to just go past and look for the goodness in, in people and build from there. And this is how I think about everyone. I mean, when I deliberately think about it, I have to remind myself to do it and it's becoming more automatic. And subsequently, my life is getting much more benevolent and bright. But this is how I try to think about everyone I meet and deal with now. Whether I'm on social media, I'm on the street, I'm in a restaurant, I'm in my classroom, around my neighborhood, etc. It's my experience that when I project this kind of optimism and look past everything toward people's essential appreciation for life, right? I I just assume it because again, back to that that, uh, visitation at the funeral home, that's what everyone, it was just an appreciation for life. That's all everybody had in common regardless of what was what was beyond that. People respond well to this kind of attitude. They can feel the sincerity in it if I'm sincere. They can feel the sincerity and that that I'm that I just see them as equals and you know whether they're richer than me or poorer than me and how can you even tell that? And it's not just that I brighten their world or whatever so I'm a good guy. It's I brighten my own world. My whole existence is just brighter and better. Um, and this is what I'm saying here on this show today appeal to the positive in people, choose and project an attitude of optimism, don't fall low to the pessimistic attitudes of envy, suspicion, and fear. And that's what I mean by be kind. So for a fuller discussion, I continue, uh, always refer you to my full essay. Uh, I know it's a tough read, a long read maybe. Maybe not a tough read, a long read. What is objective optimism uh, on my blog? And of course, I'm really interested to hear uh, questions or comments from listeners like, there's obviously lots more to say on this topic, and like all these shows, I can only say so much uh, about it to present what I mean to say, and I obviously, I always leave something out or leave something unclear, I'm sure. So we can get more clarity, however, with questions and feedback. So if you have a question about this show or any other show or any blog article or whatever, please email me at matthew.asknow at gmail.com, matthew.asknow at gmail.com. Of course, it's always easy to go straight to the website at matthewbolton.blog, where you can find everything that's going on, including my contact information. I also please encourage you to share, subscribe, and like this show on whatever media you consume on. 
Sharing is very important as it will invite more people into the conversation, enriching it with more perspective. And subscribing will keep you up to date on the latest shows and keep you in the conversation. So thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, uh, project that optimism. Be kind to people and your world will brighten up. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side. Mama is treating me to breakfast. Yep, let me see your phone. Huh? Look here. I download this McDonald's app because when you buy any bagel sandwich like the steak, egg, and cheese bagel, you get one free. Wait, you just bought that on my phone. That's right. Now that you got McDonald's money, you could treat Mama. Okay, Ma, you got it. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Valid through 10-222 at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. App download and registration required.